Thank you. Dismissed. Thank you, team. <laughs> Just wondering if you're expecting me to sing along. Yeah. Your expectations would be crashing down. How are we all this morning? Good. Good, good. It's good to hear. Hey, um, I'm excited about the next few Sundays. Um, the Compassion Sunday next week is going to be a, a really great morning, not only to hear Christine's story, but also for you to be able to um, get involved and sponsor one of the kids um, in Compassion. In the Lot family, we have eight children, three of our own and five scattered around the world. So it's our, my goal. We're going to visit them all one day. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds good. But um, I, I, it sounds okay. As a family, we actually really love and believe in the work that Compassion do. And so it's great to um, be able to have them here next Sunday. And also, like I said, an opportunity for you to be able to give. And look, next, the Sunday after Count Me In, um, I just want to pause for a moment. It, it is a really important Sunday. And for us as a church, for many of you here, you may not have been to a Count Me In before, or you may have... I really want you to be praying about what it is you can... We, we take up a miracle offering that day. And all the stuff that we say that we do as a church, vision-wise, real care, all those things, it doesn't happen without giving. And last week, Mark Check preached a great message here in this church about how you can use what God has given you to advance the work of the kingdom. And I want you to be praying and I want you to be thinking and going, oh, what is it that we as a family can give and start to pledge to give towards that count me offering. Don't wait till the 24th to have that thought process in your mind, but start thinking today, what is it that I could give on the 24th so that I could be part of the count me in offering? I don't like asking for money, but it's my birthday and I've got the microphone. No, serious. It's part of what I believe we're called to do. There's vision for us as a church and vision doesn't happen without provision and God has enabled us to be able to give. So I'm not saying that you have to you know, go broke over it, but I am saying ask God. He will lead you. He will guide you and he will show you what it is that you can give. It's, if this is your church home, then I believe it's important that you give something to say, yeah, this is my house and I want to sow into it. Okay. All right. We're continuing in the book of Acts today. We have got so much nice hot soup out there. I saw lamb shanks and vegetable. I saw chicken noodle. I think I saw a pumpkin soup. It's a great soup weather kind of day. So I'm going to preach short and I'm going to preach by 11 so that we can be out there eating lunch together. We're continuing in Acts and we're going to Acts chapter 2 today. Um, I haven't planned it this way. But the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Acts. I wasn't planning to do a series on the book of Acts, but just the last few Sundays that I've preached, I've preached out of the book of Acts. And even last week, Mark Check preached out of the book of Acts. And I was looking in the book of Acts recently, and I saw a heading that captured my attention. I don't know if your Bible has headings, but my Bible has headings. And there was a heading there, and it said this. It said, The believers form a community. The believers form a community. And that heading grabbed my attention. The reason it grabbed my attention is because I believe that that's one of the things that I'm called to do. I don't believe that as a senior minister of a church that I'm called to draw crowds or to put on big events. But what I do believe I'm called to do is to play my part in helping to form a community. I'm not against crowds and I'm not against events. I'm just saying that's not my primary calling as a leader and a pastor. My role that I feel is to be part of building and forming community. 
And I actually believe that in today's culture where community is so lacking, where there is such a hunger for community, that if you form and are a part of a genuine community, that people will be attracted to that. Crowds will actually be attracted to community when they see it happening in a real and tangible way. So for us as a church, our call is to be part of this, this heading, the Believer's Former Community. That's you and I. That's our responsibility. That's our call as a church to be part of forming a community together. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this heading and we see that the early believers, those who came to follow Jesus Christ, they start to form a community. They hear the gospel preached on the day of Pentecost and it says that in one day, 3,000 people decided that they wanted to follow Jesus. These 3,000 people are from all over the world. They're from many different backgrounds. They're from many different stories, many different cultures, but they're there in Jerusalem and they now have this thing in common that they've all decided to follow Jesus Christ. And this is what it says in Acts 2 verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. This morning, in the time that I have with you, I just want to spend a brief amount of time on those four things that are mentioned in that scripture. The early believers knew that these four things were important in building community. They knew that they were going to form a community, that these four things would be something that marked, something that was the, the characteristic, if you like, of what their community was like. And I actually believe that we as a church now today can learn a lot from this one verse about what it is to form community. We don't have time to go into the detail of each of them. It's going to be a bit of a snapshot look at those four things. But the four things, in case you missed it, the four things that they made important, the four things that they devoted their life to was this, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing meals, amen, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And like I said, there's these things that we can learn from. Let's go to number one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You've got to realise that for a lot of these new believers, they had only ever heard one message, one sermon. Who's been in church more than five years? Give me a wave. That means you've probably heard a lot of messages. You've probably had a lot of opportunities right now, what's happening, going on right now, where there's someone preaching and you're listening. But for these new believers, they'd only ever heard one message. And that was the day when Peter got up and proclaimed the good news of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And for them, that one message was enough for them to decide they wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They wanted to be a believer and a follower of Jesus. They knew that they had enough to follow. And so they decided, you know what, we want to be part of this community. But they also knew that they, their knowledge was limited. They had a hunger and a desire to learn more. Alexander McLaren, who's a great Scottish um, preacher and writer, said this, They had no Gospels. They had no written record. They had no means of learning anything about the faith which they were now professing except listening to the Apostles. What would the Apostles have told them? Remember, the Apostles are not educated men. They're not trained public speakers. They're not gifted preachers. They are just ordinary men, but they are men that have the experience of having been with Jesus. They are men that spent time with Jesus. They could tell of the times they spent with Jesus. They could tell them what Jesus did. They could tell them what Jesus said. Oh, do you remember that time when Jesus got really angry at the temple and he turned the tables over? They're the type of stories they could tell. 
Do you remember that time we were all scared in the boat and Jesus walked on water and He calmed the waves? Do you remember when He fed all those people? They could recall their personal experience and that's what they could tell to these new believers. They could tell them what Jesus did and what Jesus said. The lessons that Jesus taught them, they could now teach to these new believers. So this community of new believers was formed around this hunger and this devotion to learn more and to grow. And like I said, the only way of learning and growing was by listening to the apostles' teaching. How does this apply to you and me today? When we live in a world with great resources available at the press of a button, at the press of a button, I can discover more about the gospel than those guys had learned in a month because of the technology available to you and I today. I wonder though if the same hunger and devotion to learn is a characteristic of my own life. The hunger and devotion that they had to know more about their faith that they professed, I wonder if that's the same for you and for me. The believers had one method by which they could learn. We have so many methods to us available. But I sometimes wonder that if the range of options that we have has diluted the hunger that we have for depth and for growth and for learning. You know, it says it's a mark of our generation today that we are much wider in breadth. We contact, I will get messages on Facebook from around the world today for my birthday because of the, wet, the, the width of our connection is just so much bigger. But the depth of it is so much shallower than what it was. And that's a constant challenge within relationships and community is yes, enjoy the width of your relationships and your connections, but don't sacrifice the depth of it. And it's the same with our knowledge and our hunger for God. We can get lots of Google searches and lots of quick information, but it should never come at the expense of a depth and a hunger in the Word of God. So my prayer is that we would all have the hunger to continually be learning, continually be growing. No matter whether we've been a follower of Jesus for a day, a hundred days or a hundred years, we would still have this hunger and this desire to learn and to grow and to get more of what we profess in our faith. Where does this leave me, the preacher? If we can learn and grow from a great range of resources, I ask the question, what is the relevance and role of preaching in a word, in, of the word in a church community? In forming community, what is the relevance of what I'm doing right now? I'm glad you asked that question. I've prepared a few short <laughs> reasons. Seriously, a few things. Preaching, I think, is a great starting point. For those who have never read a Bible, never heard anything about Jesus, hearing a sermon preached can be their first hearing of the Bible and the gospel. Secondly, preaching can, and I believe it should, serve as an encouragement and example of how to read the Bible, how to access the resources, learn how to access truth from the Word of God and then apply it to your life. If I'm preaching or the preacher's up here speaking and they're talking about something God taught them from the Word of God, my, my goal is not just for you to listen to that thing that they're teaching them, but also to go, hey, they had an issue, they had a challenge, and they got their answer from the Word of God. Maybe there's something in the Word for me to go and hunger and depth and get it out for myself. Preaching should point you yourself to this book, to the Word of God. Thirdly, I believe God speaks to us through preaching. I don't know why, but He does. Sometimes the message content is exactly what God wanted you to hear. I've had people come up and say, you know what, what you said today was exactly what I needed to hear right now. And I go, great. But then there's other times when I've been in a a sermon and I've heard someone preach and I couldn't tell you 
what they preached about. But I can tell you what God said to me while they were preaching. Because God speaks through this. I don't know why, but He does. I've had people come up to me and say, I loved it when you said that thing about this and about that. And I go, I didn't say that. That's not in my notes. Because God was speaking directly to them while the preaching was happening. Preaching should complement what you are learning yourself in your own reading and your own study. I've said it like this before. We all eat through the week. But then on a Sunday or the day that we come together, it's like the family meal together. And we don't survive just on a family meal on a Sunday. We survive by daily feeding ourselves. And so preaching has a role, but it's not the only thing. And here's the deal. I'm prepared to make a deal with you today. You don't delegate to me the responsibility of learning and growing in the Word of God. And I won't be of the belief that the only way you are going to learn and grow is if I teach you. Is that a fair swap? We will all be devoted to the Word and to learning. And on a Sunday, there will still be a role because we come together and we celebrate that we have access to this book. And the fourth thing, I believe that preaching, gathering around the Word together in a big context or a small context, I think it helps build community. And this is why. Do you know that relationships are built through shared experiences? Who knows that? If you have a shared experience with someone, it helps build relationship. So when we as a church come together and we all hear the same message, it gives us something to talk about together. It should point us in the same direction. It should give us something in common that we can share with one another. My goal as a preacher is to be able to give you something that you can talk about at lunch today, at dinner tonight, through the week. Not just something that goes in one ear and out the other ear. That's my goal. I know I don't always achieve it, but that's the target. And by gathering together under one message, whether it be me preaching or anyone else, we are having something in common together. And that thing in common together helps build community. We see with the early believers, they had no other choice but to be listening to the apostles. It was their only option. But for you, you've got options. You've got a choice. You've all made a decision today to choose to be in this place, to choose to be part of this community. And unless you've got your hands over your ears right now, you're choosing to listen to what I'm saying to you right now. And by doing that, you are choosing to be in community. I don't take lightly the responsibility of the preaching of the Word of God. It's something that I believe is a great honour, but also a great responsibility. I count it an honour that I get to preach, lead, and play my part in building community. Because I know how important it is to building and forming a community. We all have a role to play, though, in this. It wasn't just the apostles' teaching that the early believers devoted themselves to. Number two, probably spent too long on point one, but that's okay. Devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship is not a word we use much these days. As a 16-year-old in church, when they said fellowship, I thought it was a bunch of fellas on a ship going fishing or something like that. It had no relevance to my world whatsoever. But the dictionary definition means this. It means a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. And then in brackets, they used it and they said this, they valued fun and good fellowship as the cement of the community. And I love that picture 
the cement of the community, the thing that binds us and holds us together. In a biblical context, the word fellowship is so much more than a relationship that we have with each other with a common interest. It is actually first and foremost, fellowship is about our relationship and our communion with God. Without that, we don't have fellowship. But because of Jesus and because of our faith, we share in this fellowship together. No matter what our background, no matter what our age, no matter where we live, no matter what we do for a living, we are part of this fellowship together. I was reading an article by um, Tim Keller, and he writes an article. <coughs> sorry, he writes an article about how the early church stood out from the, the community of the day. What made them stand out? And he lists a couple of things, but there was one thing he said, and I'll just read you this quote. Another striking difference was that the Christian communities were multi-ethnic. Since their common identity in Christ was more fundamental than their racial identities and therefore created a multi-ethnic diversity, which was unprecedented. They were people from all over the globe and they were in Jerusalem and they decided to become followers of Jesus. And they formed a community on that. The religions of the day, the communities of the day were based around race, were based around where you were from, were based around those common things. But here now is this following of people that follow the belief of Jesus Christ. And they, they put aside those fundamental things like race and they go, you know what, we want to be part of something bigger. And I believe our common identity in Christ should be much more fundamental than any other identity we might claim. More fundamental than our race, more fundamental than our generation, our occupation, or any other label that society wants to put us on, in us or on us. As a follower of Christ, that is our fellowship that brings us together. And let's not ever exclude people from our community if they don't look, talk, act like we think they should. You know, our, our community as a church should reflect the wider community. Multi-race, multi-generational, multi-background, multi-levels of education. Whatever we see in our local community, my heart is that we would see it here in this church community. That people from all backgrounds are feel part of this place. You know, it's pretty boring if everyone in your world looks the same as you, talks the same as you, dresses the same as you, does the same job as you, isn't it? It's boring. It's so much more exciting when there's difference going on. The early believers were devoted to fellowship. They knew that they were better together. And that is how they formed community. One of the things that they did when they were together was they devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. So they knew that being together was important. When they were together, they listened to the apostles' teaching and they also had this thing of sharing in meals. There's two aspects in this. There's communion, the Lord's Supper, and eating a meal together. The Lord's Supper communion you know, when we take the bread and we take the wine or we take the grape juice, you know, have you ever had it when the grape juice has gone off and it tastes a bit like wine? <laughs> if you've been in church long enough, you will have experienced that. <laughs> but when we take communion, it is a demonstration and it is a reminder of the fellowship that we are a part of. So when it says that the early believers took communion, they were reminding themselves of what they were a part of. I read this quote, it says this, The character of fellowship is made clear in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion. Where there is intimate fellowship or communion with Jesus Christ, the exalted Lord, and with those who are in Christ. 
Here is not a mere act of historical memory and imagination, but a real and vital union and communion with Jesus Christ. Taking communion together is a great way of building community because it should remind us of the fellowship we have with God and with each other. We take communion in our life groups. We take communion here in this church, not because it's a ritual, not just because it's a religion, but it's actually something Jesus told us to do in remembrance of him, but also because he knew that it would bring us together. Taking communion reminds us of the communion we have with him and the communion we have with each other as part of a community. The early believers devoted to sharing communion together as we do in this church. But it also says that they shared in meals together. Through the week, I've told you before, we have a group of people that learn English in our room over there. And they're from all different countries around the world. Ethiopia, not Ethiopia, Egypt. Um, what did we have? Thailand, China. I think there was someone from Colombia. There was a whole just range of people from across the globe. And I have learned a lot from them this year because they actually have taught me what it is to do what we're talking about. They don't just eat their lunch together. At 12.30 every day, they have lunch. But they don't just all get out their own lunch box or their own thing that they've prepared and eat their lunch. What they do is they bring all their food that they've prepared and they put it on our big table in the foyer. They put it all in the middle and then they all share it with one another. So they have a little bit of theirs and a little bit of theirs and a little bit of mine. And whenever I happen to be walking past at 12.30 on the dot, it's just coincidence, when they see me, they say, Lottie, or I'm the part, I was trying to explain to them what a pastor is and the closest we got was a Buddhist monk from Thailand. So <laughs> when I shave my head, I'll fit right in. But they invite me over. Whether I've come prepared with lunch or whether I or not, they invite me over to sit at the table with them and to share their food with them. And they're funny as anything. There was this lady, and normally she cooks up a great feast, and she just had some crumbed fish that she bought from Woolworths, and she'd cooked it the night before, and she'd cut it up and put it on the table. And she called it a specialty. This is Woolworths fish. And so it was her specialty. And... She shared it with one another, just like the person that created the really spicy chili that was making everyone else cry. But they bring what they have prepared and they put it on the table and they share it together. They know the value and importance of sharing in meals together and how that builds community. Because for them, it's not just learning about English, but it's a community that they are forming together. They're from all over the world and they're there together learning English and they've taught me the value of food but not just of eating food, but sharing in the food together. And at 12.30 is a great time to walk past on a Monday, Tuesday or a Wednesday. The early believers knew that it was more than a meal. It was more than food. Let me read you this from Alexander McLaren again. These first believers hallowed common things by doing them and common food by partaking of it. With the memory of his great sacrifice in their minds... The poorest fare, the coarsest bread, the sourest wine on the humblest table became a memorial of that dear Lord. Religion and life, the domestic and the devout, were so closely braided together that when a household sat at the table, it was both a family and a church. And while they were eating their meat for the strength of their body, they were partaking of the memorial of their dying Lord. They did everything in remembrance 
of him. They remembered it. When the early believers gathered together and when the English students gathered together, they represent the heart behind today. We're doing the table after this in six minutes according to that clock. We're going to gather together and we're going to have lunch together. And I pray that you could stay and that church would not finish at 11 and then we go to the table, but that church would just be a continuation because that is the heart behind it, that the early community, the early believers form community by eating together so that as we eat together out there, that we would form and build community, that we would share in each other's world, that we would share in each other's life. It's an opportunity to go deeper than what we can on a normal Sunday. And I pray that you can stay for the table. But the table is not just an event. The table is a mindset that says, you know what? Eating together, sharing in a meal together is a really great thing to do in forming community, in, in seeing the gospel preached, in seeing God's kingdom advance on the earth. Throughout the book of Acts, you'll see a common theme is the sharing of meals together. And the message interpretation of the Bible describes these meals like this. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praise God. They realise that it's more than food. It's more than just the physical nourishment, but it is so much more a great opportunity to build and form community. I believe that way, one of the ways God is building his church, building communities of believers, is around this gathering around the table and sharing life together and sharing food together. It's one thing that the early believers did, and I think it's something that our culture today is hungry for. I'm hungry for it, and I know many people are. Real, authentic relationships with one another shared around the table. Not just coming to church, but being the church. Spending time in each other's world. Eating together, fellowshipping together. The fourth one, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer was important to the early believers. As a follower of Christ, we have been given the gift of prayer. Individually, it's something we all can do. You know, I've said before, we don't need to change our voice or our language or put on our Christian speak before we speak to God. We can just speak to Him like I'm speaking to you now. We need to be honest and authentic. I don't know why we try and pretend with God because He already knows everything already. So we may as well just be authentic with Him. But it's not about reciting prayers. It's not about how much you know about God. You know, a lot of people when they pray, and good on if they're being genuine, they quote scripture after scripture when they're praying to God. And it's like, pretty sure he knows that scripture. <laughs> and it's okay to remind yourself if that's what you're doing and, and you're claiming a, a scripture. But it's not, prayer is not a demonstration of how much you know about God. To me, prayer is a demonstration about how much you need God, how much you need Him in your life. And I love what Max Licardo says about prayer. He says this, Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Because it's calling on our God. And prayer is not just about us speaking, but it's also about us listening to God. Prayer is and should be a conversation. There should be time for pouring out your heart, crying out to God, asking Him, Whatever it is, asking for wisdom, asking for help, asking for direction. But there should also be time just being quiet and saying, God, I need to hear from you. God, I need to hear your voice. I need to know your presence. I need to know that you are real. Prayer should never just be about you speaking, but should always have an element of a conversation where there's time to listen to the voice of God, where he can lead you and he can guide you. Charles Spurgeon said this about prayer. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. 
It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. It is something we need. It's not just a private thing. It's something we are called to do together. When we gather together as his church, there is a place for prayer in the midst of it. We pray as a church. We pray for the needs of our church. There's a Tuesday night prayer meeting that pray here in this church. You might pray in your life group. We pray as a staff. Praying is not just for you and God. It is for you and God, but it's for you and God and others. When you come together, you can be together in prayer. The early believers devoted themselves to praying together. When they waited in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, it says they were in one place, in one accord, praying together. And then when the Holy Spirit came, they were still gathering together for prayer because they knew it was important. They knew how important it was. Like I said, there's opportunities in this church to be able to pray together. And I believe that praying together builds community. Praying together, sharing prayer with one another is something that helps build fellowship and builds community. And that's why the early church devoted themselves to it. My prayer today, if the creative team want to come up and as we wrap up today, my prayer is that I would be committed to playing my part in the building and growth of this community. And I pray that you today would know that you have a part to play. That as a church, we would be devoted to learning and growing in the Word of God. We would be devoted to fellowship. We would be devoted to sharing in meals together, including communion. And we would be devoted to prayer both privately and together as a church. That's the church that I want to be a part of. That's a church that I believe God is calling us to be. One that values community. One that values being together. One that knows that we are better together than we are apart. One that knows that church is not just about listening to a message, but it's also about then spending time together over a meal. It's also about praying with one another. You know, those four things that we looked at today, none of them are more important than the other. They're all vitally important. And they all are things that focus and bring us back to our reliance on who God is. I want us to close our eyes as we finish. I want to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning, if you're here and you don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity to be part of that community, to be part of that, like those early believers. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't know everything. But what they did know was enough for them to say, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want what you are talking about. I want to be part of this. I want to give my life to believing and following this Jesus that you are speaking of. And I want to say a prayer this morning. And I want to ask us all to repeat this prayer after me. Even if you've prayed this prayer before, I'm going to ask that you pray it now because there might be someone here today who's never prayed it before. There might be someone here who's sitting here and you've prayed that prayer before, but that's not the way you're living your life. You're not living your life as a believer and follower of Jesus. And today might be the day where you pray this prayer as a recommitment and saying, I want to give my life to following Jesus. Maybe for the first time or maybe as a recommitment. But we're going to pray this prayer in this room. I'm going to ask that as we pray, I'm believing that something would happen in your heart, in your life, where you give your life to believing that Jesus is the Son of God and to following the path and the plan He has for you. Can we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I need You. I believe You are the Son of God. You came to earth to give eternal life. I open my heart to You. I receive You as my Saviour. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. 
Today I receive forgiveness and acceptance. Take control of my life from this day onwards. In Your Name I pray. Amen. Amen. With every eye closed across this room, if you prayed that prayer today either for the first time or as a way of recommitting your life back to God, I just want you to raise it now. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to acknowledge you. I can see your hand over there. That's awesome. Is there anyone else that wants to raise their hand this morning and just say, yeah, that's me. I see that hand. That's great. Is there anyone else, either for the first time or as a recommitment in giving your life to believing and following God? I see that hand over there. God, we thank you that all we have to do is call upon your name and we will be saved. For those of you that raised your hand this morning, one of our team would love to see you after the service, give you a Bible, talk to you, help you, just connect with you so that you can continue in what you've decided to do today.